The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. Grace and peace to you this morning in the name of Jesus Christ and welcome. If you're a visitor, I want to give you a shout out and say thank you for coming to check things out. And as you've probably gathered, if you plan on returning, uh, you will not want to be here at 10.30 next Sunday. Uh, Well, north side would be right down the hallway, so you'd be fine. But uh, if you're looking for the Springs Church, we will be up at 21477 Northwestern Avenue. It's hard to believe that this is our final Sunday here. Um, Actually, I went back and kind of tried to count it up. I think this is actually our... 123rd Sunday in this gym. So a lot to be grateful for, and I just want to echo all the beautiful sentiments last week uh, for Northside and all that they've done, and uh, I'm just so, so grateful for the way that they've treated us and helped guide us to where we are right now. Uh, Before we jump into our psalm this morning, which is, I think, fittingly enough, a psalm of new orientation, I just wanted to take a quick moment to give you a little brief life update from Lara and I. Um, If you haven't seen or met him, we have begun fostering a little almost two-year-old boy named Jeremiah. And so we are very excited. Uh, It is new orientation with probably a dash of disorientation. (laughs) Lara would probably flip those two, though, I think. Uh, But it's been wonderful, and he's an awesome, crazy little guy. So um, I just want to say thanks to everybody who's already poured support uh, out on us. Um, We've really, really been humbled, especially our connections group has really just surrounded us and loved us so well this past week or so. So thank you uh, to you all from the bottom of our hearts, and we're excited to be on this journey with you. But we're in Psalm 65 this morning a psalm of new orientation, and I'll go ahead and read that in the NIV this morning as we begin together. Praise awaits you, our God, in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. You who answer prayer, to you all people will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those who you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain, for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. 
You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. And God, we give thanks for all that is behind us. God, we remember this morning the days and months and years and for some decades that you have guided this body of believers to this day. And God, we look at the horizon. We look at what is before us and we respond with hope and gratitude and anticipation. And God, in this present moment, we give you our hearts and we ask, Lord, that you would Shape them in the image of your son, Jesus. God, that you would prepare us for what's ahead and remind us of all the salvation that has gone before. God, this morning, I ask for the gift of preaching. I ask that your spirit would dwell within us, be with us, and open up our eyes and ears to your word. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. It was a curious fact of the 1950s that if you wanted to hear Karl Barth preach, you would have to break the law. Uh, The most important theologian from the last century that I like to reference up here from time to time uh, was known to regularly preach at the prison in his hometown of Basel, Switzerland. And Many of those sermons that he preached in that prison uh, have been since published, and you can go read them. And there's one from Ephesians 2 where he uses this striking illustration from an old Swiss legend. And the legend is of a rider who crosses the frozen lake of Constance late one night. It's a a man on a horse riding across what he thinks is solid ground, but he is galloping on this huge horse across a frozen lake. And it's not until he gets to the other side uh, that somebody tells him what he has just done, and he looks back and is beside himself. He is completely horrified, understandably, to know what he has just done. And yet also immeasurably relieved to know that he's been spared. And Karl Barth uses this illustration to talk about God's gracious deliverance. And he says that uh, when we hear the words, by grace you've been saved, in such a moment we are like that terrified rider. When we hear this word, we involuntarily look back, asking ourselves, where have I been? over an abyss. What did I do? The most foolish thing I ever attempted. And I think what this old Swiss legend communicates is that you can't really fully understand your predicament until you've been rescued from it. You can't really fully understand the disorientation until God has brought you out of that into new orientation. Or another way to put it is that it is the person 
not who is lost, but the person who is saved that knows they are a sinner. It's, it's the person who's been saved, who looks back over that abyss, over that frozen lake that they have crossed, that realizes the real gravity of the dire straits that they were in and that they've been rescued from. And we're going to see a bit of that this morning in Psalm 65. This understanding of what's been before by being in the new orientation, especially in the first section. So I want to jump right back into verses 1 through 3 with you, if you'll turn over in your Bibles. He says, Praise awaits you, our God, in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. You who answer prayer, to you all people will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. One thing to notice about the language in this part is how radically God is at the very center of this text. I think the NRSV actually captures it well. This phrase that's repeated, it's almost an identical phrase repeated three times. It says, praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who answer prayer, to you all flesh shall come to you, God, to you, to you. God is emphatically the very center of all of Scripture. God, when we come to Scripture, is the primary actor. He is the subject of the text. He is the one acting. He is the one speaking. And so we see this further in verse 3 that God acts on our behalf. It says, when we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Another little interesting language thing here is that the Hebrew word for forgave is not the normal one used. Uh, It's only used three times in the entire Psalter, 150 Psalms. But it's actually used much more often in Genesis and Exodus. And it's used in the context, in actually Exodus and Leviticus, of atonement. Uh, You could actually translate it, make atonement for. And it's always a person or a priest or Moses or Aaron offering a sacrifice on behalf of someone, on behalf of the community, to make atonement for, to find forgiveness. But in Psalm 65, who's the one doing the atoning? It's not a person, it's not a priest, it's not Aaron or Moses, but it says, you, God, forgave our transgressions. You, God, made atonement for our transgressions. God, again, is completely in focus as the very central actor and subject in this text. But before we leave verse 3, I want you to notice one more thing. Uh, One more thing about this remarkable moment, this dramatic moment where not just an individual, but an entire people acknowledge their guilt before God. When we were overwhelmed by sins, that all the people in this community, in this text, presumably from the lowest member all the way up to the king, have come before God and conceded their guilt and celebrated their forgiveness. And so this sincere, corporate, public apology 
I think is quite striking because it's such a rarity. It's such a rarity, especially in our day and age when we think about companies or, or groups apologizing. It's typically very, very calculated to improve their public persona, improve their image. It often comes at the very last resort, a last-ditch effort when public outcry has arisen beyond the point where it can be ignored. Uh, for instance, who can forget the, the United Airlines debacle of just over a year ago uh, when they overbooked the flight by four seats and the four people that were selected when no one would volunteer. One of them was a 69-year-old pulmonologist who had to see his patients the next day, but they wouldn't hear anything of it. They drag him off brutally. He, he loses two teeth, breaks a nose, he's bleeding. If you saw the photos, it's, it's hard to forget. But the curious thing is that the CEO, the next day, it, actually that same day, there's an apology in his public statement, but it's about having to rebook four people. Uh, okay, it's not an apology about brutally, almost violently dragging this man forcibly, a paying customer. And it was only when the outrage increased that the next day that he finally conceded and actually acknowledged their guilt in the entire situation. And this is kind of the way things often go with, with companies, with groups of people in our society. We want to maintain our innocence. We want to maintain control and look strong and in the right. But Psalm 65 shows us a better way. It shows us a way of humility. It shows us a way of looking from new orientation back on that disorientation, acknowledging that guilt, acknowledging, God, we've, we've bent and broken things. God, we've rebelled. And yet you've straightened them out. You've made atonement for us. That's the way of Psalm 65. But we see God's saving deeds more so even in the next section, and not just his saving deeds, but also God's creative deeds. Go back to verse 5 for a moment. It says, You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. This section gives us that striking creation poetry that we've come to expect from the Psalms in this series. And this, this beautiful description of not the earth as nature, but as creation. And I think one of the reasons this poetry in the Psalms is so powerful is that the psalmists never lose sight of creation as an achievement. That creation is not some mere datum that just exists, that just is. But that creation is the achievement, the gift of God Himself. That God has created this not out of necessity, but freely out of love. 
That God is perfect and whole and complete in himself. There's nothing forcing him to create. But God creates freely out of love and abundance. He he forms the mountains, it says. He quiets the chaotic waters and he he brings life-giving water. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. My last few semesters at Oklahoma Christian, the university got pretty friendly with an astronaut named Colonel Doug Wheelock. And he was the commander of the International Space Station. And he would come speak at chapels or commencements from time to time. He even Skyped in from the space station to speak at chapel. Coolest chapel ever. And I remember he would tell these fantastic stories, of course, where he would talk about you know, doing spacewalks, being outside the space station, doing repairs. And he'd talk about the words you don't want to hear when you're in space. Uh, like, oops. You don't want to hear that. Uh, you, you also don't want to hear, uh, sorry guys, my bad. And you especially don't want to hear when you're in space, abort! Which he did a time or two. But by far the very best thing to hear Colonel Wheelock talk about was seeing the earth from outer space. Because he talked about, I'll never forget the way he just described the universe as this dark vastness spreading out in every direction. And and then right in front of you is just this beautiful ball of blue life. That, That planet Earth is here and it's just this sphere of vitality and energy and, and technicolor. And it's just incredible in this ocean of blackness. And he says that every time he looks out the window of the space station or he's even outside the space station and he sees our little planet Earth, he says, my soul begins to sing. And that's precisely what we get from Psalm 65 this morning. Where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy That creation inherently sings the praises of God. The God who has brought it to life. The God who is the hope of all the ends of the earth. You know, the psalmist never got to see the earth from space. He didn't even get to see it from an airplane. He wasn't a globetrotter like many of us get to be in our modern age. Presumably he lived on probably a little tract of land, relatively small compared to what we've all seen. An arid place. And yet, he captures perfectly, beautifully, this glory of God in creation. Charged with the grandeur of God. You might recall the song that we introduced the second week of this sermon series called, So Will I. And I remember being really struck by the lyrics to that song, especially uh, the first chorus came back to me this past week where it says, And as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born. In the vapor of your breath, the planets form. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you've made. Every burning star, a signal fire of grace. 
If creation sings your praises, so will I. And creation's song of praise continues to the end of our psalm here. Let's finish up, beginning in verse 9. He says, You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain. For so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. So again, we have God, the primary actor the center of this text, the primary subject who is acting upon the earth, who is not only creating but sustaining, who is tending to the earth, watering and softening the soil. He's almost portrayed as this kind of cosmic farmer here, caring for the earth. And in the middle section, he was silencing chaotic waters, but here in the final section, he's brought life-giving waters. That God not only brings order to the world, but he maintains order, he tends it, and he loves it in abundance. Laura and I have been uh, watching this documentary series, Planet Earth, that's on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, it is really marvelous, just beautiful footage. And there's an episode in the first season devoted entirely to deserts on our planet and the wildlife that try to survive there. And in the middle of talking about these elephants that are trying to survive during this period of great shortages, the narrator just kind of quickly turns and he says, yet all of this can change in an instant. And the camera cuts and the music kind of becomes magical and fades up and you see this this river of water streaming through a desert. You see this, this little flash flood creeping and cutting across this desolate wilderness. And, and the narrator says that this water has actually, it's mountain rainwater that has fallen from over a hundred miles away that has come into this desert and within a week it, it sprouts up and there's just this flush of absolute green. Flora and fauna begin sprouting up and rounding up, and life breaks in again. And this can happen in deserts from time to time. It can even happen in Death Valley, California, which is actually the hottest place on earth. And in Death Valley, California, water can come in and activate seeds that have laid dormant for 30 years and a single shower of rain takes these 30-year-old seeds and burst forth new life. Brand new vitality. And that's precisely the scene we get at the end of the psalm. You crown the year with your bounty. Your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. And here's what I think, church. I think if God can take rainwater, 
from mountains hundreds of miles away and bring life to a dying desert, then God can use this church wherever he takes us. I think if God's hope really unfolds to the very ends of the earth, to the farthest seas, then we can be absolutely certain that we are going to see God's hope unfold before our eyes in North Edmond. And who knows, but that perhaps seeds have been lying dormant for 30 years, waiting for us to come water them with the gospel. Because the very same God who quiets the seas of chaos in Psalm 65 is the very same God who quiets the Sea of Galilee. And the very same God who quiets the turmoil of the nations, who brings peace, is the same God who has broken down that dividing wall of hostility. And it's the same God who softens the soil with rainwater and has now begun to soften the hearts of the earth with living water in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen Messiah, has brought us new life again and again and again, has brought us from death to life, from disorientation to new orientation. And I believe he will bring us life once again so that we might be water for a weary land. One of the scholars on this text describes the community in Psalm 65 as a community forgiven and therefore ready to begin afresh. Isn't that precisely who we are this morning, church? We're people saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, ready to follow Him anew wherever He takes us. Because we trust in that living water streaming up in the desert. Let's follow him together, church, and let's start by standing and praising him in song.